Get your Bibles out and let's open them up to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 as we take a look at a message in our Believe series that I have entitled Born Again. Born Again. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and uh, we'll come back to that in, in a little bit. But he comes to him at night and made me think about meetings that I've had to have from time to time that are difficult meetings to have. And one of the things you have to address is where will we actually have the meeting? It might not be a good idea to have it at the church because of the people who might see. It might not be a good idea to have it at Tim Hortons. It might not be a good idea to have it. We just have to figure out why. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he comes at night and spends this time in this conversation with Jesus. And at the end of the day, twice in the text, Jesus says, you must be born again. And out of that comes all of this conversation and discussion and challenge in Nicodemus's life as he considers the things of Jesus Christ. So you got your Bibles open. Uh, let's stand together. We want to read uh, just part of the text we'll look at this morning, but starting at uh, verse 3, um, the text says this. Uh, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Father, we thank you for your word today. As we look at this illustration of a Nicodemus who comes to Jesus Christ, uh, Father, and questions are asked and statements are made and, and in his mind there's just turmoil and trying to figure it all out and he has a deep respect for Jesus, but Father, it's not making sense to him. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Father, would that truth reverberate in our hearts for those of us who are born again? Father, would there be a great rejoicing and encouragement in our spirit? Because this salvation is a working of your spirit in us. And for those who are here this morning who have come and hear your word, Father, would they not be um, persuaded by the words of a man standing at a pulpit? But would they be persuaded by the working of your spirit that works like the wind? And uh, Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do for your glory in these moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, how does John 3, 1 to 15 fit into the Christmas theme? Well, I guess in some technical sense, it probably doesn't. It's not one of the Christmas passages. But the reality of what Jesus says is the whole purpose of why Christ came. So that we could have life and we could have it abundantly. So that we truly could be born again. And this message will lead us into next Sunday's message, which is probably the greatest Christmas passage there is for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And uh, so when we think of this idea of you must be born again, when Jesus says it, it's not an optional thing. 
It's not a, you can think about this path or another path. He says, you, you, every one of us, to him he's speaking to Nicodemus, but the point for us is you must, this is the way it must be done, be born again. There's an action that needs to happen. It's, it's not a preferred path. It's not open for discussion. Um, it's critical that we get this right. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so Christ has come that the satisfaction of God's wrath and the punishment for man's sin can be satisfied and it's found in Jesus Christ. So three things we wanna take a look at from the text today. Here's the first thing about kingdom people. Kingdom people receive the teaching of Jesus. Kingdom people receive the teaching of Jesus. Look at uh, verses one and the first part of verse two. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. We know you are a teacher come from God. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime. There's different thinking as to why that might be. Um, it might be because that's when they had opportunity. He's had this set up the meeting with Jesus and the only time in their schedules that would work would be after work, we're gonna get together, we're going to have the conversation. That is a school of thought, and it's not a bad school of thought. Um, they're also a school of thought that there's more time available for the conversation by doing at night. Um, but there's also a school of thought that there's a great fear in his heart. There's a fear in his heart. He has a, a, a great risk in coming to Jesus. He is a Pharisee. And as we've already seen in the studies we've done in this book, the Pharisees are the one who eventually want to put Jesus to death. And we saw an inkling of that even in the video. Um, he is a Pharisee. He has a religious position. He's also a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling party, which much more, was much more political. And so this wasn't just anybody walking down the street. Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was also a community leader who was coming to Jesus and coming to Jesus to talk to him about, why are you here? Why have you come? And I believe he's come in secret. I believe he's come because there's fear. There's fear of what could be attached to him if he's seen being attached to Jesus. The other times that he is mentioned in the uh, Gospel of John is mentioned as the one who came at night. Nicodemus, who, who came at night in, in chapter 7, when the Sanhedrin are trying to figure out what to do with Jesus, he's referred to as the one who came to Jesus at night. In chapter 19, he assists Joseph of Arimathea in the burial of Jesus, and he's referred to as the one who came to Jesus by night. And so there's a great question of, did this man ever truly become a follower of Jesus Christ? Now you realize this is all before the cross and uh, scripture is silent as to what really happened. It doesn't say that, ever say that he believed. I think the progress in the, uh, that we see in his life before the Sanhedrin and wanting to make sure uh, things are taken care of with Jesus in a proper way and the fact that he assists Joseph of Arimathea in the burial of Jesus says he was more than just an interested person on the journey, but rather he truly, I believe he truly comes to faith and follows Christ, but we don't find that in the pages of Scripture. 
But to be a kingdom person, you have to receive the teaching of Jesus. Look at the last part of verse, verse 2. It says, For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. No one can do these things unless God is with him. And, and so Nicodemus is realizing in his journey and in the struggle that, that, he, that just Jesus is from God. Jesus is from God. He's doing signs. He's doing miracles. We've just finished looking at six of them. Now you realize most of them are after this text, but there are enough things, because everything's not recorded in scripture, that Jesus has done that have got Nicodemus and the Pharisees all looking up and going, who is this guy and what is he doing? And he is doing signs. And Nicodemus comes to the conclusion, no one can do these things unless God is with him. No one can do these things unless God is with them. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, you need to examine your heart, examine the word of God and ask, who is this Jesus? No one can do these things unless God is with him. God is in him. Um, the reality of this as we see the end of the story and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, no one can do these things except for God. So Nicodemus has a lot of questions in his mind. And Jesus responds to his inquiry in, in verse 3. He says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, three times in the text, Jesus uses the term truly, truly. Um, it's really for emphasis. It's, it's a, I'm making a serious point, and you need to take note of it. It's, in, it's found here, it's found in verse 5, it's found in verse 11. And so Jesus, in his answer to the question and the inquiry from Nicodemus is, um, truly, truly, listen up, Nicodemus, or for us, listen up, church, because what you're about to hear is critical. It's an important point. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. In this statement, Jesus reveals man's greatest need. Man is separated from God and there's nothing that can be done that satisfies the wrath of God, that satisfies the separation from God, that satisfies the penalty of sin. There's nothing except to be born again. There aren't 20 different ways to get to God. There's one way. And unless you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, unless one is born again, he cannot, he will not see the kingdom of God. The word born again could also be um, stated born from above. Both of those words in, in the Greek would be satisfied in this. You need to be born again, but you need to be born from above. The term born again has probably fallen on negative ears in our society today. Um, people, people were even at some point being called, you're a born againer. You're a born againer. Like that was a bad thing. Yeah, that's, the, that's what I am and that's the only hope that I have. And I would just say to this as a, a bit of a warning for us, don't shy away from words that Jesus uses. Right? Just because the culture doesn't like those things. Nicodemus didn't like what Jesus told him. 
And so don't be fearful of using words that Jesus uses. As a matter of fact, when you use words like that, people look at you like you're an idiot and go, what are you talking about? And open the door for you for an opportunity to the gospel. Jesus says, you must be born again. And it triggered a whole discussion with Nicodemus. It didn't make sense to him. It, it demonstrated the impossibility of what was required. Nicodemus is all ears. And Jesus has certainly grabbed his attention with the statement, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now you have to understand, and we'll come to it in the text, Nicodemus thought he had it all figured out. He already was a religious leader. He already was right with God. He already was on the right path. And Jesus is introducing him to, you might have a lot of good things. You might have a lot of things in your ducks in a row, but you don't have the main thing yet. And the main thing is gonna be made available through the work of Jesus Christ. All over the New Testament, the idea of rebirth and recreation occurs you can write down some of these texts if you want. In, in 1 Peter, speaking of being born anew by God's great mercy, 1 Peter 1.3. 1 Peter speaks of being born anew from an imperishable seed, 1 Peter 1.22 and 23. James speaks of God bringing us forth by the word of truth, James 1.18. Titus speaks of the washing of regeneration, Titus 3 verse 5. Romans speaks of dying with Jesus and rising anew, Romans 6, 1 to 11. 1 Corinthians speaks of new believers as newborn babes in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. 2 Corinthians speaks of us as being a new creation in Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Galatians says that in Jesus we are a new creation, Galatians 6, 15. Ephesians says, the new man is created after God in righteousness, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. Hebrews says that at the beginning of our Christian life, we are like children, Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The hope of eternal life, the hope of Christmas, the hope of the cross, the hope of the resurrection, resurrection brings us right down to the bottom line of you must be born again. Are you? Are you? If you are, you have great hope. You have the greatest hope. And if you're not, that hope is available to you today that you can know the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again. Kingdom people receive the teaching of Jesus and Nicodemus is there and he's hearing it and he's wondering. But here's the next thing. Kingdom people understand you can't make the changes required. To be born again is something that's been done by God, by the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't, you can't do that. Look, look at Nicodemus as he responds. Now, don't be too hard on him because if that was you sitting in front of Jesus and Jesus says to you, you need to be born again. You never heard the term before. You've never thought about it before, not in this kind of a context. You probably would have asked a question like he did and we see it in verse four as his head is about to 
explode. He says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? It's one of those Captain Obvious questions, right? Like, in, in, I love the way they did that in the, in the video. It's like, uh, my mom's already died. Like, there's no way. There's no way anyways, but there's really no way for me. So how can I be born again? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? The questions are obvious. Nicodemus is only thinking about the physical level. However, Nicodemus' question sets the table for the reality of what Jesus is really talking about. Because what Jesus is talking about can't be accomplished by man. Verse 5 says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, that's the second time we see this. Unless you were born of water and the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, there are differing views as to what does that mean, born of water and of the Spirit. And so let me give you probably the three most common, and I'll tell you what my opinion is about this. And, and so the first one is that the water here is the washing of the Word. You find a testimony of that in Ephesians 5.26. It talks about being washed in the Word. And so if you, you, unless you are born of water, washed in the Word and of the Spirit... Right? You can see how that could make sense, and I wouldn't argue against that position. Um, the second position is uh, that the water represents baptism, unless you're born of baptism and the Spirit. Uh, that's a popular view, not necessarily among general evangelicals, but, but the reality is that people say, no, unless you're baptized, unless you're baptized, you, you can't Catholics would love this. People who believe in infant baptism would love this view. I don't believe it's a right view. I don't believe it holds credence coming out of the Old Testament into the New Testament. Um, and then a third view is that the water is natural birth and that we all experience it. Um, why do I think that's the right view? Well, I'll go back and just kind of put it all in the context. Um, but I'm not dying on the hill for one or three. I don't think number two is right. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is all over. How do I get in my mother's womb again? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. For me, just the reading in the context of the verses would tend to lean towards the water is your physical birth. So unless you're physically born, and then unless you're reborn spiritually, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You were born the first time, and then you're going to be born again by the power of the Spirit of God. For me, the simple reading, that just makes sense to me. Um, and then you are born of the Spirit. Then you are born of the Spirit. But the reality is you must be born 
Again, I found this illustration really helpful as I thought about it. If a nation passed a law that said no one could live there except those who were born in that nation and someone wanted to live there that was not born there, it wouldn't matter if he took the name that was common in that nation. It wouldn't matter if he spoke the language. It wouldn't matter if he observed some of the customs. It wouldn't matter how he dressed. It wouldn't matter if he practiced some of the religious traditions. It wouldn't matter if his parents were born in the nation. It wouldn't matter if his children were born there. It wouldn't matter if he had many friends in the nation. All that would matter was where he was actually born. And Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I think some of those things in that list would be things that we in our world and the world would see as ways we try to get to God. Well, my parents go to church and I grew up in the church or, or I say the right things or I do the right things. And, and Jesus say, no, 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 no. Unless you are born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, it will die, it will pass away, it is temporal. But that which is born of the spirit is eternal. And he's talking about eternal in the sense of eternal life with God. Um, I love the reality of my own salvation, that eternal life for me began the moment I trusted God. You've heard me say this before. It's going to get way better. This, this old body is going to be gone, and I'll have a new body, and it will be way better than this, and it will be in good shape, and it won't, it won't after I run up three flights of stairs, it, that's all going to be gone, and we'll have a new body because I'm born again. Because I'm born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So Nicodemus is sitting there trying to understand all this and fathom what Jesus is saying to him. And then Jesus says here in verse seven, he says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't marvel at that. Don't marvel at that. Now he is marveling at it because he doesn't understand it. And there are some reasons for that we're gonna to come to in a second, um, but don't marvel at that. Nicodemus is marveling because as a religious leader, as a leader in his society, he believes he's already got it figured out. He believes he's already on the path to reach God. And Jesus is trying to tell him there's something more fundamental that you're missing. There's something more fundamental that's coming. What you're going to see happen in my life is the way that the, the wrath of God can be satisfied and you can be made right with God. There's more coming. But Nicodemus, he thinks he's already got it. He's a religious leader. He's a Pharisee. He's an educated man. And he's earnest in what he's doing. By all outward appearance, he's already transformed unto God. And Jesus is just blowing his mind with, you're missing it. You're missing it. Unless you are born again. What keeps people from trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ. See, I believe Nicodemus climbed over that hurdle and came to the place of understanding after the cross and the resurrection and just on the pathway he was on. I just, I choose, I wanna believe that. I, I can't prove it from scripture, but, but just the pathway he was on, that's where he was going. But as I say so often, we know the rest of the story. We have it, we have the word of God. 
and yet people still reject it. People who should know better. People who've heard the word all of their life. People who've been introduced to the gospel. People who are kind of like Nicodemus. They are, their mind is right. They're educated people. They're earnest in what they do. But pride, pride keeps them from receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that might be true in your life today. To some extent, it's true for all of us. We, we come to the cross kicking and screaming because we don't want to give up what we are. We don't want to hand over to God all that, that we think we are and we bring to the table. And, and God's saying, you don't bring anything to the table. I bring everything to the table. I love the illustration Jesus uses in the working of the Spirit in Nicodemus's life and in my life as well. He says in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And he talks about this working of the Spirit of God. And he, he, he says to Nicodemus, the wind blows and you, you hear it, uh, you feel it. Um, the wind blows, it, it acts sovereignly. We don't get to control it. The storms come and the winds happen and there's nothing we can do to change that. We can see the actions of the wind. We watch as the wind blows and, and the trees uh, bend over or, or we see the results when a storm comes through and a tornado comes by or a hurricane hits and, and the wind takes the roof off of the building and, and we can see the results. The wind blows. We see it. We see its effect. I love what Spurgeon said about this. Uh, it should lead us to be very tender and jealous in our conduct towards the Holy Spirit so that we do not grieve him and cause him to depart from us. The wind blows. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus says to them, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Are you a teacher of Israel, Nicodemus? Um, Nicodemus is just striving to understand. And Jesus is challenging him and pushing him further in his understanding. And, but at that point, Nicodemus doesn't understand is he there just on his own initiative? Or have the other Pharisees said, hey, kind of, you've been cozying up to him. You go and talk to him. You ask him some of these questions. And he's thinking, I got to go and give a report back to these guys. Or at the very least, I've got to make these things make sense in my own mind. How do you not understand? And again, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we believe, excuse me, and bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Truly, truly. Once again, he's a, an affirmed a solemn truth. And Jesus says, we know, we know. It's interesting in the text is when Jesus says, we know, 
We know these things. Uh, who's he speaking about in the we? Was he speaking about himself and, and those are his disciples who are learning about him? Is he speaking about all the really religious people? Or is Jesus on a different plane from where they are all together? And I believe he is. I think what Jesus is talking about is God himself. We know in verse 11, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen and you do not receive our testimony. Do you remember back in, in John chapter one, he came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. And so Jesus is saying, we're pouring out the truth. We're pouring out the truth in the Godhead, in the spirit we see here. A God the Father, God the Son. It's all being poured out and the world is rejecting it and the world is turning against it. And the warning to Nicodemus is be careful not to turn against these things. Jesus said, if I told you earthly things in verse 12 and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I tell you earthly things and you don't get it and you won't believe it. How will you believe if we give you more and we give you the heavenly things? No one ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus makes it clear that he can speak with authority about things in heaven that no one else can. No one else has ascended to heaven. And no one else knows the mysteries of heaven like I do. No one else knows the depth of your need like I do. No one knows the cost like I do. That's what Jesus is saying to him. You know, you can talk about a place you have never been, but you talk about it very differently when you've been there. For most of my ministry life, I would talk about, you know, Jesus, he went from Samaria to blah, 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 all over the place, and he down to Galilee, and I'd, I'd pick a picture of a map. And it changed when I went there. It changed when I went there. It became real when I went there. And so now when I think about the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. I think about sitting on the bus and going up there from below sea level to like 1,200 feet above sea level and the bus just all the way up the hill because I've been there. I've been there. We sat at what very well could have been the tomb of Jesus with the rock rolled away and I wept. When I wept, Inside, inside the tomb, there's a sign that says, he is not here. He's not here. I've been there. So when Jesus says in the text, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man, he said, I've been there. I understand. I'm the one who knows what's required. I'm the one who understands and can deliver what's needed to be delivered for you, Nicodemus. And then he goes on in verses 14 and 15 to the last thing I want us to see. Kingdom people look to Jesus. Kingdom people look to Jesus. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Nicodemus totally gets this story. He totally knows what's going on. 
Um, in, in Numbers, and we're going to read it in just a second, in Numbers chapter 21, you can turn there. Uh, Jesus is telling the story of what happened to God's people. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Um, and Nicodemus is wrestling with who is this man? Jesus saying, I am the Son of Man. He just said it in the verse before. And he says, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That whoever believes in him can be born again. And so Jesus takes Nicodemus from what is very unclear to him, and he brings him now to Numbers chapter 21, uh, verses 4 to 9. And uh, here's what it says. From Mount Nor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and there's no water. And we, we loathe this worthless life. This worthless food. And then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many people of Israel died and the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a, um, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, key words, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a person, if a serpent bit anyone, he would take, look at the bronze serpent and he would live. When you study in the Old Testament, study in the scriptures, the uh, picture of serpents is the picture of evil. We see that in uh, Genesis chapter three, right? In the fall of man, uh, this picture of the serpent being evil. Um, However, Moses' serpent in Numbers 21 was made of bronze. And bronze in Scripture is a metal that's associated with judgment in the Bible. Because bronze is with fire a picture of judgment. So a bronze serpent does speak of sin, but it, does, it also speaks of sin being judged. And so the people of God have rejected what God has done and they have become bitter and they've cried out against him. They cried out against the food, but in essence, they're crying out against God's provision and in their claim of of confession and repentance, they said, we have sinned against you, Lord. And and the Lord says, "Take take a serpent, an image of a serpent made out of bronze and put it on a pole and put it on a pole. And if people who are bit by the serpent, they will die unless they look to the judgment of their sin. And when you looked at that, you were saved. It's interesting, the serpent on a pole is also a picture of health and medicine and life and all of those things. But it's a great picture of Jesus Christ and his satisfaction of the wrath of God. They had to trust that something as seemingly foolish as looking at a serpent on a pole 
was sufficient to save them. And it was. Isaiah 45, 22 says, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God. There is no other. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. No matter where you're coming from, no matter what your background is, Jesus said, I am the way. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are sick beyond what you can do. The hope for eternal life is looking to the one who was on the cross, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12 says, look to Jesus, the founder and finisher or perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. People are willing to do all kinds of things to try and make their relationship with God so that he will one day say, you're okay, you're okay. And we try harder and we try harder and we try harder. And the reality is the work is finished in the work of Jesus Christ, not in what we accomplish. Even as a follower of Jesus Christ, stop trying harder because you think somehow that's satisfying God. We come to our service and our passion for the Lord because all of that has been satisfied in the work of Jesus Christ. But if you're here today and your thought is, no, no, like the scales are gonna tip in my favor. I'm going to be okay. You're not going to be okay. The person who was bitten by the serpent could do all the things, but the salves on, could do all the ointments, could do whatever they wanted to do. It wasn't gonna save them. The only way they would be saved would be to look to the satisfaction that God provided. And the only way anyone can be saved today is to look the satisfaction of what God has provided in Jesus Christ. Jesus never became a sinner, but he took upon himself our sin. Even in his becoming sin, he was holy and righteous, and he did it out of an act of love. Jesus remained holy throughout the entire ordeal on the cross. 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. The theologian McLaren said this, uh, he must die because he would save. And he would save because he loved. Next week, we'll look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Will have eternal life. We'll look at verse 15. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. The only way to be right with God is to be born again. Follower of Christ, born again, it changes us. We're born again, we're new. We have a new life in Christ. We live differently. We don't live like we used to live because of the work of Jesus Christ. We've been born again. 
But if you're here today and you've only been born once, you've been born physically, you've been born of water, you need to be born again. Born of the Spirit of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The idea of eternal life is more than never-ending life. It also speaks of a quality of life. It's not just a life that goes on forever, but it's a certain quality of that life. We're gonna go and be with the Lord and worship together forever. That's the promise. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you come to the place of understanding like the people of Israel, we are sick, we are dead, we are without hope. We look to Jesus, we put our trust, our hope and faith in him alone for salvation. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we are saved. And the end result is we have eternal life. Well, so what? This man Nicodemus comes to Jesus and Jesus blows his mind because Nicodemus thinks he's got it all figured out and he's gonna come and challenge Jesus. He calls him rabbi, he calls him teacher and, and Jesus says, you gotta be born again, man. You gotta be born again. What you've got isn't gonna get you there. It's what you've got is not satisfying what God is requiring. Not just a physical birth, Nicodemus, but a spiritual birth. And for him and for us, it's the only hope of eternal life. And if you don't have eternal life today, you can by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will, you will, guaranteed a promise. You can take that to the bank. You will be saved. But if you don't, you're only born once. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. It's corrupt. It will die and spend eternity separated from God in a place that he calls hell. God, work in the hearts of people this morning that they would know Jesus Christ. And for those of us who do, that we would leave from this place with an awesome hope of knowing what Jesus was talking about for Nicodemus was the reality in my life. I have been born again. I have that hope. And I look forward to the rest of my eternal life living to glorify my God. Let's pray. Father, now this is your word. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Don't, don't even really know all that transpires in his life afterwards. We see some things and we hope for him. But Father, the hope for us comes from being born again. Would you give us hearts and passion for people around us who are not, that they would know the gospel of Jesus Christ and be born again. And for followers of Christ in the room, would this be a great message of hope for us because we are. The wind has blown, the spirit is working. We don't understand at all, but we trust by faith and you work for your glory. For the person who's here, fathers never trusted Christ, would this be the day they would turn in repentance and faith and follow Jesus. We pray in his precious name.